Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them in your Bibles to the Gospel of John in chapter number 6. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and in the back part, turn to page 77, and you would be at at John chapter 6. It's our privilege today to celebrate the Lord's table together. We normally do this on a fifth Sunday of a month, but we delayed, actually just postponed having communion last week to this week so that we could finish our series on Psalm 23. Um, So I'm excited today because we get to gather around the Lord's table and have communion together. And as an aid to orient us to that, I want to look this morning at some verses from John 6 that make up a very controversial statement that the Lord Jesus made. And this controversial statement has some startling wording in it. And in particular, I want us to focus in John 6 at verse 53. So look at verse 53 with me. And as you have your Bible open, I'm just going to read verse 53 and verse 54. So let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, when you first look at that, you may say, well, that's a little controversial. He's talking about eating his flesh. He's talking about drinking his blood. But I don't know that there's any wording there that seems to be startling. But what I want you to know is that when he talks about eating his flesh in verse 53, and then he repeats the idea in verse 54, he uses a different verb here for eat. And that different verb is the verb in the original language, trogo. Now, while trogo could be translated eat, it has a much more vivid meaning than that. Trogo means to crunch audibly. It means to munch loudly. It means to eat in a noisy manner. And I'm sure that parents then are very much like parents today. And if you're parents, especially with your kids, and some of you who are wives, maybe even some with your husband, you're often saying to them, chew with your mouth closed. Don't munch real loudly. Don't make a lot of noise when you're eating. Avoid chomping loudly. And yet we have Jesus here making a very interesting statement. He says in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. And then he repeats the idea with this other verb in verse 54, unless you crunch my flesh audibly, unless you munch it loudly, unless you eat it in a noisy manner. By the way, he repeats that same verb in verse 56 when he talks about eating, crunching my flesh. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says in verse 53, 
you have no life in yourselves. And then in verse 54, he says, he who crunches audibly my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now, how do you think people were responding to what Jesus had to say here? Well, we see the response just a few verses down in verses 59 and 60. It says there, these things he said in the synagogue. So he's in a religious setting. He said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. What was the reaction? Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. This is a difficult statement. It's a hard statement. It's a rough statement. It's a harsh statement. It's an unpleasant statement. Who can listen to it? Now, when you look at those verses, you have to pull back and ask yourself, what in the world was going on here? What was happening? And if we want to better understand verse 53 and verse 54, what's the very first rule of Bible study? What's the very first thing that you would do? You would look at what was said in its, what's the word? Context, exactly. And so that's what we want to do. We want to understand what Jesus was emphasizing in 53 and 54 by looking at the context. Now, if you let your eyes just go back to the beginning of the chapter, you'll find that the overall context of this is that in the first 15 verses of chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus used the bread and the loaves to feed 5,000. And then what I want you to notice is verse 35. In this overall context, Jesus says to them, having fed them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Now, he makes that statement, how did they respond? Verse 41, therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him. Why? Because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. So there's just this context that's going on when we come to verse 53 and 54 that involves the feeding of the 5,000. It involves Jesus saying to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. We see that they begin to grumble about those statements. And then I want you to notice the rest of the context by looking at verse 47. In all of this, Jesus goes on to say this, Truly, truly, I say to you, which in the language of that day was, here comes the bottom line. He who believes has eternal life. And he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, ate the manna and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, the bread that I'm talking about, so that one may eat of it and not die. And he goes on to say in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So again, what was the response to all of these statements by Jesus? Well, 
Look at verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Basically, what a stupid thing for anyone to say. And so Jesus says to them, now we're back to our verses, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For, verse 55, my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Now, what is happening in this overall context? Well, as you read through the verses, you realize that Jesus is conveying a truth. He keeps repeating that truth over and over again. Look back again at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. It's obvious he's not talking about physically here. He's talking about a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son sees me for who I am, and believes in him, will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We see it in verse 47. Truly, truly, here's the bottom line again, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. That's the message, the truth that he's been trying to convey. But he's been getting back skepticism. He's been getting back grumbling. He's been getting back complaining. Uh, people saying, oh, that's just hard. That's difficult. That's obscure. That's just, you know, rough stuff. I don't buy that. <laughs> that offends us that you would even talk that way. You know, it's interesting that many in our culture have the same response today. We talk about Christ dying for our sins, and they think that just sounds so dumb. That's just so obscure. Who really wants to believe in that? You're going to tell me that somehow Christ dies for you and then he offers to you forgiveness and he offers to you deliverance from judgment and he offers to you eternity and he does all that as a gift? I mean, come on. Nobody operates that way. We have skepticism. You talk about the cross and remember, Paul said, that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The whole story just sounds dumb. And yet Jesus says, you can't miss the message. Verse 53 again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am giving you the spiritual bottom line. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. Now, we're very removed from the context of the day, but if you were Jewish in background and someone made that statement to you, your immediate emotional response would be, that is very offensive. You see, to them, drinking the blood of animals was forbidden. To them, eating flesh that had not been fully drained of blood was prohibited. But to drink the blood and and eat the flesh of a human being was even more forbidden and even more unthinkable. 
So what the, the Lord Jesus is doing in, in verses 53 and 54 is we see here he is using a figure of speech because they kept missing the point. He kept repeating the point, and they kept missing the point. And so now I think, personally, this is just my opinion, out of some frustration, he switches the verb in verse 54. And he uses this verb, trogo, to startle them, to just draw their attention. He was being very, very vivid with them. So he says in verse 53, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. What was he really saying? He's using imagery here. And the imagery is a picture of receiving and assimilating Jesus' body that was to be given for them. The imagery is one of appropriating by faith the life that he was going to give for them. When he says in verse 53, unless you drink the blood of the Son of Man, which was a reference to him. What's the imagery here? The imagery is a picture of receiving and assimilating the Lord Jesus' blood that would be shed. It's imagery of appropriating by faith his death in their place. Now, this often happens in culture, even though we're separated by all these centuries, but we use a very similar imagery in English in America. If you have somebody speaking to a group of people and you have that group of people just attentive on the edge of their seats, we might use this phrase to describe that. They were just sitting there drinking in his every word. Now, what do we mean by that imagery? We mean that they were fully receiving, they were fully assimilating everything that he had to say. And so the point that Jesus is making here is that we need to partake of him by faith. We need to receive and digest his death and work for us. Now, some of you might be saying, well, you know, you've bounced around a lot, and I I see how you put that all together, but how do you really know that that's what Jesus was saying? Well, I think there's clear proof of that. And all you need for clear proof is to compare verse 40 with verse 54. Just compare those two verses. Notice verse 40 says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, sees Him for who He is, and believes in Him, there will be two results. They will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Then notice verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, two results, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, very clearly, the point that Jesus is making in verse 53 and verse 54 is the very point that he made in verse 40, that every person who beholds the Son and sees him for who he is and believes in him and rests in that and trusts in that will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Two promises. Did you see them there? One promise is the promise of eternal life, and the other is the promise of a future resurrection. And so that's really what communion is, as we gather around the Lord's table. It's remembering what Christ has done. It's proclaiming faith in his work. 
We, when we come to the Lord's table, we're coming to Him as the bread of life. We're saying we believe in who He is. We believe in what He has done. And we will often say in baptism that baptism is a sermon without words. There's imagery involved. And the same thing could be said of communion in the Lord's table. Communion in the Lord's table is really a sermon without words when we partake of the elements of it. And in just a few moments, we're going to do that. But I want to remind us, as we get ready to partake of the Lord's table together, that when we partake of the Lord's table, we proclaim three things. The first thing that we proclaim when we partake of the Lord's table is our sin. We're actually proclaiming our sin. We are proclaiming that we have violated God's standards. And because of that violation, we owed a debt of death. And we are proclaiming that we really come to Him in a helpless, hopeless state. We can't do anything about that. We can't do anything about our sin. We can't any, do anything about our debt of death. So whenever we partake of the Lord's table, we proclaim our sin. But secondly, we also proclaim our faith. When we come to the Lord's table, we are proclaiming publicly our faith that we are trusting in and resting in His death, that He died for our sins on the cross. We're trusting in His death and we're trusting in His resurrection. The fact that He was resurrected was proof that His death was fully sufficient to pay for your sins and mine. So when we come to the Lord's table, we proclaim our sin and we proclaim our faith. And then the third thing that we proclaim when we come to the Lord's table together is our hope. We proclaim our hope. We proclaim our hope of our future resurrection. Remember that in verse 54? That I will raise him up on the last day. Part of what we're proclaiming is that we're counting on as we walk through the door of death, and by the way, some of us have said goodbye to some people we love very dearly in recent times who walked through the door of death. The truth of the matter is that everybody seated here today is going to walk through the door of death. But when we come to the Lord's table, we are proclaiming hope in our future resurrection so that someday if you were to come to a service that was remembering myself and I might be there in some box somewhere, but I'm really not there because my hope has been that when I go through the door of death, there'll be a future resurrection. We proclaim our hope in our future resurrection. We proclaim our hope in the return of a living Savior. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. And then there's this little phrase, until He comes. See, part of our participation in the Lord's table is to proclaim our hope of our future resurrection and that we will have a living Savior who will return one day. You see, what Jesus said to the disciples is totally true. He said in Matthew chapter 26, as they partook of the first Lord's table together, He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So, as we get ready to 
participate in the table of the Lord. Remember, we're going to proclaim our sin, our debt, our helplessness, our faith in his death and resurrection, and our hope in our future resurrection and the return of a living Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for these words of Jesus that bring home the truth that we need to remember. And we anticipate now as we participate in the Lord's table that we have an opportunity to really do a sermon without words as we take in the bread and we take in the cup, that we are proclaiming our sin, that we're proclaiming our faith in who He is and what He's done, and we're proclaiming our hope for the future, our resurrection and His return one day in glory. We thank You for being our God, and we thank You for our Savior who bled and died for us. Amen.